Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. Hey, Founder Fam, before we dive into another incredible conversation, I want to share something really special with you. Whether you're just joining us or you've been following us since the beginning, you've been a critical part of our community working to change entrepreneurial education. I started Founder almost a decade ago with the mission to provide entrepreneurs access to the world's greatest business leaders. Our goal was to break down barriers to entrepreneurial education, and that's taken us on a journey from Founder Magazine to this podcast and beyond, and today marks the next step in that journey, Founder Plus. I'm proud to introduce you to Founder Plus, which is an all-access pass to each of our online courses and programs and their proven frameworks for success. It puts every strategy we've compiled from world-class instructors at your fingertips while connecting you to a global network of like-minded entrepreneurs. Founder Plus will take your business to the next level for today and tomorrow. So whether you've just joined our family or you've watched us grow from humble beginnings, we're really thrilled to have you join us in this exciting new phase of making the founder brand and this company the world's best entrepreneurial community to launch and grow your business. So finally, before we get into today's episode, I'm inviting you to come back, check out Founder Plus and go to founder.com forward slash membership. I'm really excited, guys. This is an incredible new evolution of entrepreneurial education, and our mission is really to get as many of these founders that we interview to teach and also give back on the Founder Plus platform and really go more in depth with the knowledge and the experiences and the lessons learned that they're sharing all in Founder Plus. So guys, please go check it out if you're enjoying these interviews. That's it from me. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now let's jump in. This is episode number 421 with Rishi Mandel of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary Vee, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Today's guest has had an incredible career. Rishi Mandel has seen inside of Google and NASA, and now he's building his own empire with Future. It's a buzzy $150 per month fitness coaching app, which has built the largest team of full-time fitness trainers in the US after the military. Future pairs users with a trainer to manage their ongoing workouts through their phone, and They just became the first official fitness coaching sponsor in the NBA. In this episode, we're going to dig deep and discover the lessons learned, as well as the current challenges of bringing something like future to life. Please welcome to the podcast, 
Rishi Mandel. Rishi, the first question that I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job, aka how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? Yeah, it's a great question. As a kid, I, um, like a lot of the people you've talked to, was always trying to invent things, start things, build things from the ground up. Um, you know, I was born and raised in the Bay Area. And, um, you know, by the time I was uh, in my teens was around the dot-com boom and got to see a lot of creation around me. And uh, it definitely inspired for me this idea that you can invent things out of your garage. So as a kid, I was uh, coding little, you know, uh, services and web design companies and things like that. Um, the first job I ever had that paid me something was a quote unquote company I started with my sister. And the idea was we went around the neighborhood, we posted, uh, uh, you know, uh, services available, we'll cut your lawn, we'll, uh, we'll clean your house. And then as jobs came in, we would basically try to pick up the phone and farm them out to someone else and keep a little bit of a uh, uh, margin in the middle. It turned out we were terrible at doing this as, you know, 10 year olds and 12 year olds. And so we ended up having to do all these jobs ourselves. So unwittingly had sort of put ourselves into a bunch of manual labor, uh, which then taught us uh, don't really want to do that again. And then, you know, the subsequent ideas were uh, web design or, um, uh, you know, things like that. By the time I was 16, I had a, you know, a bunch of patents for quirky, crazy ideas, the self-zipping zipper and radio TiVo. Um, for me, my childhood was just about inventing things. I found that to be so interesting. Um, and that was the seed. I went off, you know, and academically kind of went a different way, um, studied physics and, and, uh, and, you know, went down the academia path as a researcher for a number of years. Um, and then eventually realized I like this rigor, but I also really like the relentless execution of building something. And I could bring those two things together if I try to invent things. So about 15 years ago, left academia and came to tech um, and then have built multiple businesses and several were acquired and you know now building it up. Yeah, very cool. So I want to talk about future, but before I do, like what was the first one that you built 15 years ago? Um, you know, I had an opportunity to join um, a group of guys who had previously built PayPal. So Max Levchin was one of the founders there and um, several other folks uh, from that group we built a company called Slide and I originally joined as a, you know, uh, an IC and, and raised my hand to say yes to do everything. And as we grew, you know, the org that, um, you know, I ended up uh, leading product for grew and grew, became our primary product, 95% of our revenues, probably 70, 80% of our headcount. And so really got to grow with that org and learn from some extremely smart people. That company was ultimately acquired by Google where I spent some time, um, and Slide as a company was a gaming company. And so it was this really interesting experiment of how do you, um, you know, back whatever, more than a decade ago, um, take a rigorous look at, at growth and scale analytics, and then marry that to good taste and building entertainment products at the end of the day. So learned a lot doing that. And um, as a product person, got to drive uh, a property uh, that we launched. Um, and that taught me a lot about management and scale. And then at Google saw the other side of, of scale um, and then went on to, to build other companies after that. Yeah, got you. And then what happened next? So, you know, had a great time seeing 
the best of the best at Google doing their thing. This is 2010, so a little over a decade ago, Larry was taking over as CEO and there was a, a lot of energy, but also it was a large organization with a considered pace and so started to daydream uh, a little bit. And after a while I left and started a, a, a new company from the ground up. And the concept behind that company was to help people find things locally. Uh, you know, it's a historically hard problem, actually. In your city, what amazing niche things are happening, whether that's temporally events or just amazing little experiences hidden in plain sight. And um, the insight we had um, back then was this is a challenging problem to solve purely through uh, technology, just trying to look for enough signals. It was really hard to, to truly pinpoint and identify cultural, culturally significant things. And it's also a really challenging thing to, to grow with just kind of humans and user generated content. That was probably the predominant model a decade ago. And I think the initial kind of concept was, what if we could scale good taste? What if we could take the good taste of certain humans and then amplify them using machine learning and tools and automation? Um, and this idea of augmenting humans ended up becoming for me a through line now since in my career. This is what we do with Future, with your health and what we did back then at that company, Soch. Um, and so with that company, we um, were able to, in just a handful of cities, help people figure out what's happening, that's interesting, that's relevant to you and understand an individual and what time, what day of the week and time of the day do you typically plan for your weekend? For some people, they're procrastinators and that's Friday. And for some people, they're planners and that's Tuesday and they text their friends. And we built a, a product that could understand each individual, their interest, their geography, their planning structure, and then leverage people with good taste to really understand the city, combine those two things. And we had really relevant, timely um, uh, recommendations for things to do, beautiful experiences around you. Um, and that company ended up scaling nicely. And this was a time... What was this, uh, you know, six, seven, eight years ago when local, locally based technology companies were soaring? You know, it was the, the time of scale for Uber and Lyft and uh, food delivery services. And so the fact that we had figured out a way to unpack geographies and understand the people within them, the neighborhoods, the purveyors and which of those were interesting without having to forward deploy a human into that geography, that became a really valuable asset. The company was ultimately acquired by Postmates, the food delivery company, uh, where I went on to, to kind of lead you know, consumer products and, and a bunch of other things. Um, but that was the, the second company. Got you. And then you, then you worked on Future? Yeah. So after some time at Postmates, um, you know, for me, I was interested in working on something high beta that moved me personally that I thought was uh, really unique and, and um, could have a profound impact. And um, I spent a year as what they call an ER, an entrepreneur in residence at a big venture capital fund. And in doing so, I got to see a whole huge variety of companies. And the, the great kind of exposure I had there was, I would say a third, let's say, of the companies that that particular fund invested in were healthcare companies, capital H clinical healthcare companies. These are medical devices or drug discovery algorithms, things like that. And over the course for me, bringing a consumer and data background um, to the table, hearing people talk about the historic challenges of you know, health that we have these days in population health, 
you know, in America here, you'd come to learn that 75% of Americans are obese or overweight. And that number is just increasing monotonically. Um, that 80% of people aren't active enough despite their, you know, their trying and spending dollars and time and energy and on and on and on. You know, majority of us live with chronic conditions and most of us are gonna die of these things. Really kind of dissonant picture of huge investments in healthcare, amazing kind of um, therapeutics and diagnostic sort of technology. And yet, even as we spend in this country, in the United States, we spend, you know, 20% of GDP, trillions of dollars a year, um, and many, you know, thousands of dollars per capita every single year, our, by many measures, our quality of life is going in the opposite direction, uh, is degrading. It is actually worse than our peer countries today. And the question that was very attractive was like, how could that be? What is happening here? And when you really try to understand what's driving people's quality of life, you realize there are many things happening here, okay? Number one, there are challenges with genetics, and those are going to be really hard challenges to contend with and shift and trends to shift. The second thing that's happening is there's socioeconomic challenges. You know, some people live in what we call food deserts, meaning they're low, they don't have access to a local fresh grocery or something like that. And so even if they want to eat healthy, it would be very difficult to do it. And there's, you know, there's multiple reasons, but one of the huge inputs to not only how good our lives can be and quality of the life we can have, but how long we might live are everyday behaviors. And there's really five things we do on a daily basis that end up having a big compounding effect on this. And those five things are how we move, how we eat, how we sleep, how we deal with stress, and whether or not we take our medications. Turns out most people are terribly non-compliant at doing that if they're supposed to. And so these everyday behaviors are huge drivers. People largely know it. They spend a lot of time and energy trying to exercise more and walk more and eat better uh, and fail at huge rates. And I think we kind of came to this problem and said, historically, for 30 years, people haven't uh, exercised at a high rate. 80% of Americans don't exercise enough, and that number hasn't changed in 30 years. Um, instead of focusing on why people can't be successful, let's do the inverse. And let's really understand where are there subgroups of people among us who have been extremely successful in leading um, you know, busy lives and yet maintaining high performance or healthy living? And when we started to look at these small populations of people kind of hidden amongst us, let's say an ex easy example is professional athletes can perform at a very high level for some years on end, uh, despite having many demands on their time. Um, we saw this in you know, tech executives or um, A-list celebrities. These are, you know, groups of small groups of people who can maintain high performance. And we said, what do they do to manage their day-to-day -day, um, behaviors? And what we found was with nearly 100% consistency, they all did the same thing, which is they don't try to go online and ingest every bit of content about exercise in the world or nutrition. They are not measuring every little biomarker on their body and staring at charts and graphs and postulating what they should do. Instead, they get help. And what they really do is build a constellation of experts around them. And that might look like having a personal trainer who comes to you and tells you exactly what to do. Or maybe a chef who comes and stocks your fridge with 12 meals a week. Or a sports psychologist if you're a pro athlete, which is really just a therapist. And on and on and on, what we found was they were solving this problem or these, you know, these priorities with ownership and getting somebody in their boat with them to help them, uh, to guide them to, to success and, and help them sustain these behaviors. And in a word, if you had to use a word, you'd say everyone who can afford it opts for coaching. 
why is coaching so amazing? And as we unpacked it, we found a coach is this powerful partner for people because number one, they tell you what to do, sort of obvious. Number two, very powerfully, they keep you accountable to doing it. Uh, and then the third amazing thing that a real world coach, if you had someone standing next to you, coaching you in your fitness does for you is they take the time to get to know you. A lot of the interaction is talking about your family and the vacation you're taking or your sports team you're following. And so when we really realized a human is an incredible resource to have, um, a coach is an expert, is an incredible resource to have. They tell you what to do. They keep you accountable and they get to know you. We started to think about how can we do that for many more people, you know, to get this expert in your life in the real world, $100, $200 an hour to get a personal trainer. Uh, If you want to see that person multiple times a week, that's what is it? $20,000 a year. That's a 1% solution ever. Um, And the question became, you know, do they really have to be standing next to you all the time to tell you what to do, keep you accountable to get to know you? Um, And our hypothesis became maybe not. Um, You know, I started the company five years ago with my co-founder, Justin Santa Maria. Justin was on the original team that built FaceTime and iMessage at Apple and, you know, ran communications for iOS for, you know, almost a decade really, which was an exercise about connecting people from afar who are not sharing space and time. How do you build intimacy and connection? Uh, and then went off and, and, you know, oversaw the guest experience at Airbnb for a number of years. And again, guests and hosts don't share space and time. How do you build trust and transaction and, and, and all of these things? And so about five years ago, we said, hey, I'm a former athlete and, and have this perspective that people will move people when it comes to something like exercise. And he had, you know, a decade, 15 years of experience connecting people digitally. Um, and we started this company, Future. And what Future does today is we, have, we give you a connected coach. We are today the largest employer of coaches and trainers in America. We have many, many very talented coaches. We're all employees of our business. When you become a member, we pair you one-to-one with one of these amazing people. And through our app, they build you a, a, a training plan every single Sunday for, you know, no week is like the next. Our app will guide you through every single workout. Um, they send, we send you an app watch so your coach can see if you're actually doing it or not, where you're taking breaks, what your heart rate's doing, all of the, the nuances of exercise in order to drive accountability. And that's what's really new here is accountability in consumer health or fitness has never really existed at scale. Um, And then we connect you with that coach over text message and they're very proactive. They're typically the first person you hear from in the morning, minutes or seconds after you finish a workout, you hear from them. And we build time in their schedule to think about you outside of your fitness, which again, we've never seen consumer health or fitness companies ever really think about that at scale. And the totality of this is we give you a really amazing coach who's connected with you every single day. And the radical opposite, when we said, what's the issue here is people are on their own trying to manage all these disparate parts of their health. The radical opposite of being on your own is to have someone in your life every single day helping you manage your health. And that is exactly what we do. It's a real human every single day. Um, and that's that's what future is. We really focus on your fitness today and, and we have... Um, I think a lot of uh, a possibility to help people with more and more uh, parts of their day-to-day health. Yeah. Wow. What a, what an incredible company and vision. Um, lots of questions off the back of this. First of all, what were the earliest challenges? Because that price point is pretty crazy. Like it's a, it's $150 a month, right? That's how much you guys That's charge. Right, yeah. 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 And, and how did you get Always that? Been. Yeah. So how did you get, allow that personal training? Obviously, 
they're not with that person. But yeah, how did you make those unit economics work? Talk me through the early challenges because that that sounds like it would be hard to do. Yeah, um, you know, let's talk a little bit about first pricing, right? Um, the only other way to get one-to-one attention in this way would be something like personal training, which might be a hundred dollars uh, a session. And if you want to see this person multiple times a week can easily be a thousand dollars a month. And so future is about, you know, our average customer works out 16 times a month for 149 to pay $9 a session. So it's a true order of magnitude reduction of one-to-one true expertise, guiding you through every single workout, planning them, keeping you accountable, all the things you would expect of a coach. Um, the way we approached pricing was, I think the way you would approach uh, a lot of things at a, at a young company with a, with a new concept, which is to try to build an idea bottoms up, top down, does this make sense? And then for those two things to meet. And so bottoms up, we really tried to understand what does it mean to be an incredible, responsive, hands-on coach? And what would it take for us to go get skilled coaches? You know, 80% of our coaches come to us directly from a professional sports team or a division one college program. These are highly skilled uh, and trained coaches. What would it take for us to put an amazing coach like that in your life? And how do we, you know, allocate their time and make the unit economics work? So this can be a a really functioning business at some scale. Um, And so $150 a month started to make some sense from that perspective. And then top down, what do consumers pay for fitness? And what we found was, yes, they pay 50 or 100 or $200 an hour for a coach, but not many people are doing that, as we said. When you think about um, gym memberships, anywhere from $75 to $200 a month is um, you know, pretty normal. When it comes to boutique fitness, think about this. This is all before pre-pandemic. Um, it was pretty customary for tens of millions of people in this country to go and do boutique fitness at $30 a class. If you just do two of those a week, you're talking about $300 a month nearly. And so when we started to triangulate, we said, this is actually a really reasonable price point in kind of high affinity fitness, um, high touch fitness, and uh, power is a really great business. It's an order of magnitude reduction in terms of the cost of of coaching. Um, Let's go and, and see if we can make this happen. Now, understanding, as you alluded to, this is probably 15 times when people pay Netflix. Um, And so this is not a drop in the bucket by any means. And it just meant that our hurdle for delivering value was going to be that much higher. And, you know, you know, this, you talk to lots of founders in the early days of your company, you are in the business of winning advocates, you know, one at a time. And so we knew that if we set a price point that was quite high, the hurdle would be extremely high to win what are truly advocates. Um, And then designed our service around that and said, what is remarkable? How do we, what is 10 out of 10? How do we deliver that? You know, one of the things that we did in building the company early on was, and we still adhere to this, is building the company in phases and stages and not trying to boil the ocean. And I just said, what do we want to do over the long term? Take hundreds of millions, billions of people, help them with every aspect of their day-to-day health with a real human coach. That might be multiple coaches. And that can be an overwhelming proposition. How do you go from zero to there is a a hard, uh, hard line to draw. But what we really thought through was how can we use um, capital and focus to really solve one problem at a time? And the first problem for this company was, could we even in small scale coach at an incredibly high level 
when we're not standing right next to you because the real world comp is it's richer when I'm standing right next to you. So if we're, if we're a thousand miles away from you, are we going to be out of sight and out of mind? Or can we still actually direct you safely, effectively, what you should be doing, um, keep you accountable, do all those things. And we spent a bunch of time trying to understand what does great quality coaching look like? And then can we administer it when we're not there? And we, and I'll t- I can tell you more about how we went, went about setting metrics to help us ourselves understand if we're achieving that, but we just focused maniacally on that, which meant we were not worried about consumer acquisition early on. We were not worried about being on every platform. And we built a small surface area product, gave it to a discrete number of people and we're judging, are we coaching at a high level? When we started to you know, understand that, yes, we can coach at a high level. We can give people intricate workouts for every micro need. We can keep people accountable. We can see into the data and really understand what they're doing. Then the next phase was, can we create anomalous consumer outcomes? And are people thrilled about paying $150 a month? And this is to the heart of your question about pricing. What we did here was say, what do anomalous consumer outcomes look like? In fitness, there is a characteristic retention or churn curve, okay? When people pick up a new workout routine, very typically, half of people will no longer actively be doing that after three months, after 90 days. Uh, This kind of checks out right with our intuition. January 1st, people join the gym. By April 1st, about half of those people are not as actively doing it. Half are still hanging on. Um, and then, you know, on a year on 80% of people have churned and this is the 20% who will persist year year. Um, and so we said, if we're going to give you an incredible coach with a great tool set, and they're going to be super hands-on, what we want to see is incredible retention at 90 days, say 95%, right? Paying us, using it happy uh, instead of half of people. And with that high bar, uh, what we did is we started to onboard small cohorts of strangers. They were paying $150 a month. We would go and find them inefficiently through ads or whatever. And there were, we, we were purposeful to find a broad spectrum of people, beginners, men, women, old, young, so on. And what we found was we were pretty good. We're probably 50% better than the average uh, fitness company out there in our first cohort. Not good enough. Made some changes, brought a new cohort in. And we were doing this unusual thing. We were firing very happy, good customers after 90 days and saying, we don't want to unnecessarily grow our uh, supply here. And so we actually would like push out perfectly happy customers, bring in a fresh cohort of people and say, we've now changed our playbooks or software or technology. And then we look after you know 90 days, how are these people retaining? And we kept doing this cycle until we found that very consistently, we were able to drive insane consumer outcomes, you know? unbelievable retention, unbelievable NPS, or NPS is 90. It's, it's off the charts how happy people are having a coach in their life every day. Um, and that's when we said, you know, and we had some other benchmarks, okay, we think this second phase is over. And the third phase was all about scaling up. And that's what we have been doing. And then the next phase of this company is about laddering up into other aspects of health. And so that will come. And, um, and so we've been quite focused, kind of build, building the company phase by phase, brick by brick. Um, and so we were not early on tying ourselves up in knots of at this price point, can we scale it? And so on. We said, can we, let's solve the next problem in front of us. And then let's go and think about scale. Mm, interesting. So that journey of getting the, the unit economics dialed in, especially more than anything, just around retention. Um, how long did that take? 
and what did the team look like and how much money did you raise during that period to bring that to life? I'm curious. Yeah, that coaching and consumer, those two phases were probably 18 months to two years of the company. And, and that, you know, requires a lot of patience. Our friends are like, what are you working on? You have no website. And, you know, uh, in terms of customer scale and so on, we were having, we, you know, when we started the company, we said we were willing to be misunderstood for five to seven years. No one's going to get it. And then suddenly people will get having a coach every day is like this amazing thing. And so we, um, uh, that was probably a two-year cycle. The team was incredibly small. The team is still incredibly small compared to the size and revenue scale of the company. And um, you know, as a multiple-time founder, I think you come to understand um, my job here is to prove or disprove this thesis. And so I have no interest in getting the company out over its skis. And and by increasing our cost structure too much, we limit the number of shots we can take on goal because you know we're burning a hole in our pocket. And so we kept the team very, very small. In the phases I'm describing and talking about, you know, our core tech team is five to seven people, and um, our coaching team was the size, you know, appropriate to to um, uh, to scale to our client base, and then that was it. And at the point at which we said this is really interesting, then you know, we brought on a major ops team, grew our product and engineering team, and said, okay, can we drive efficiency in this system? And then as we started to scale, we built a, a marketing team and a, um, you know, a lot of other functions that we had to build uh, to support the company. And so now today we are you know, bigger, but uh, for the first few years of the company, it was a tiny group of people very specifically looking at some indicators of, are we onto something truly unique in consumer health and wellness? Fascinating. So for two years, so you, it sounds like you, you self-funded. You didn't raise any money. Uh, we self-funded the first uh, six months of the business. Then we did a seed round that was small, maybe three million dollars. I don't know if we left that small, but um, for you know the time, it was uh, modest. And then you know, in our totality today, we've now raised you know 110, 120 million dollars. So we've started to really scale up the company as we've validated our unit economics makes sense. Our consumers are incredibly happy. Our coaches are productive. Our scale is, you know, multiplying. And so, you know, then we've started to invest into the business pretty aggressively. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success. You should come and check out our new podcast from Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in the trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. I'd love to talk a little bit more about the early days just around kind of you're, it's clear that, that you're a really solid product guy. Um, like that, that, is, that is clear throughout your journey, right? Um, what unit, what, what metrics were you guys using for success? You talked about NPS, but like for founders in the early days, because you're, you're essentially looking 
for product market fit, but even beyond product market fit in those first couple of years, you would say, right? So what metrics were you tracking? And for founders that are looking for product market fit or in the early stages of building just a great product, what what are you tracking? What what recommendations would you have? Yeah, I think there's two recommendations I would have. Number one, uh, optimize around as few things as possible so you can focus your team. And when we said, when we were in that phase around, are we driving anomalous consumer outcomes? The way we sort of phrased it narratively, which we, we try to do things narratively and then turn those into measurements, was do people stick with this in a way that they don't stick with any other fitness intervention? The history of consumer fitness is people pick up a bunch of amazing and interesting and efficacious solutions, whether that's a local class or a piece of content or a piece of equipment, but nothing sticks, right? If 80% of people don't work out enough, and that's been the case for 30 years, despite boutique fitness, at-home fitness, and all of these things, people pick things up. Life is hard and crazy and disruptive and nothing sticks. And so that pointed us towards what is truly interesting and differentiated here will be retention, not of payment, but of usage. Um, and then the second thing was, are people incredibly happy about having a coach in their life every day? Um, and so when we wrote that narrative, we focused our minds and said, okay, what we're thinking about then is high retention and high happiness. And I said, MPS, we also had our own measure of, uh, asking people parsing and, and sort of translating their, um, their answer into a sentiment score of our own. We also did NPS and, and kind of came up with a multiple measures to say is, are people highly adherent? And are they happy? So two metrics, right? Very simple. But the second piece of advice is it's really easy to trick yourself. And I think I would fall prey to this myself as an early founder or, you know, because to be a founder, you have to be pretty clever. And I've heard multiple of your um, uh, people you've interviewed say you also have to be an amazing storyteller. So all of that is true. And now you also have to sort of be in the lab truth seeking. Am I, am I actually driving great results? So I'll give you some examples of what we tried to do to make sure um, we really were getting signal. And the first thing we did is we said, if we are looking for great long-term retention, then we need to almost stack the deck against ourselves. And so instead of selling three-month plans or 12-month plans, which would have sort of uh, at the front door uh, weeded out people who are making a big commitment. And then you could sort of trick yourself. Our three-month retention is great because 100% of people paid for it up front. Um, we only and still sell future monthly. We remind you monthly, which most, you know, Netflix doesn't do that. And we charge 10 times what they do. And in fact, we remind you a week before your first recurring charge. And we say, hey, you've been using this thing. In a week, we're going to charge you. If you're not loving it, like you should cancel. Um, and we set up a whole, like a guarantee. If you cancel, you know, within your first month, we'll give you all your money back. We're sorry. It didn't work. And so we tried to almost stack the deck against tricking ourselves on this retention front. And the goal there was to say, do we really truly with, with great signal see great retention? Um, and then, you know, the same thing with NPS. If, if you ask everybody at the right point in their journey and you know, the beginning of their journey, they're all excited and their rating will be high. And so we, we came up with a way to look, uh, pull people across a spectrum of, of experience and, um, and make sure that we're getting a great read on, you know, are people actually willing to recommend this to their friends? Um, and so I would say the two things are focus on as few indicators as possible. It sharpens the mind. 
and, uh, and it galvanizes your team to really um, pick the right order of operations and to make sure you're not tricking yourself. Um, those are those, those, I think those two um, approaches really served us well early on. Mm, great advice. Um, first customers, talk to me about your first one. How'd you acquire it? Uh, how'd you acquire your first customer? Do you have a story? Um, yeah, what did that look like? Are they still with you today with your legendary retention? Yes, yes. Um, so I'll talk about our first customers. The, um, you know, we, we tested on ourselves and things. And then we finally found real customers who we didn't know who were paying us money. And I think I mentioned this, which is, you know, we were looking for cohorts of people who we didn't know. We found them, uh, let's say, inefficiently using Facebook ads or something, you know, and all we were interested in doing was getting a large enough cohort where we thought this could be statistically significant, that we can see an effect size here. Um, but what we did purposefully was look for people across the spectrum. So we were not looking just for people who were hardcore in exercise or people who were just beginners. We were looking for a broad spectrum of people. Our belief was that coaching can be incredibly valuable for everyone from the novice or the beginner all the way to pro athletes. And if really fundamentally what we give people is expertise, accountability, and flexibility, everyone can benefit from that at different seasons of life and days of the week. Of course, the pro athlete or the hardcore person will use a little bit more of your expertise as a coach and the novice will use, will draw on a little bit more of the accountability. So if what we actually did was as people came in, we asked them, what are your goals? What is your experience level? You know, where are you located? You know, some things about demographics. And um, we purposefully built um, cohorts of people who were who reflect the population. This actually is still true today of the future, that a third of our members are complete novices. Zero workouts coming in, you know, don't have an, a, a routine and are looking for something that will work. 20% are on the far other end of the spectrum, seven days a week. We have pro athletes, Olympians, college athletes, and, you know, normal people who work out seven days a week. And then 50% are in between. And that is quite reflective of the population. Um, and it served us really well to do that. To your, to your question of our first uh, uh, cohort of people, um, and I think I, I can remember the very first of those customers, um, I can confirm that he, customer number one, is still with us today, four years later, and um, a high percentage of that group, as I sort of said, uh, still working out with their coach four days, I mean, four years later, you know, multiple times a, a week and, and all of that. Yeah, well, that's awesome. Um- so love to love to kind of go a little deeper on the subscription side. Um, what advice would you give to a founder that is looking to go from a one-off product selling business to a subscription model? I would say certain um, certain product service or interaction types lend themselves well to subscription. And in this case, one of the things I love about future, you know, this idea of a connected coach is that we were not wandering in the forest, wondering what will fitness look like in the 21st century. There is a real world comp for what we do. And that real world comp is effectively a subscription product, right? You usually buy a bunch of personal training sessions in a bundle, and then you see this person on a schedule. Um, and that behavior lends itself really um, naturally to a subscription. Uh, what I will say we learned along the way about charging people a lot of money for a subscription is that people are really 
hesitant or downright unwilling to pay for software. You know, if we, uh, if you go to the app store and you see a note-taking app, that's probably amazing and beautiful, but $20, you're like, whoa, that's crazy. I'll just use the notes app. Um, and so if we were really trying to sell future as a, an app or a piece of software, um, that was $150 a month, I think we would have gotten absolutely nowhere. And I think we sort of did uh, learn this lesson along the way that people are actually unwilling to pay for software, but they're extremely willing to pay for other people's time. And, you know, if you think about folks in your life who help you, you know, should you be so lucky as to have a housekeeper or a gardener or someone who takes care of your pool or uh, an EA, you know, people in your life who enable you you don't really think of those people as a subscription. You think of them as talented people who do something valuable for you and you pay for that. And so one of the really big unlocks that we discovered early on was instead of trying to really talk to you about future, we would try very early to match you with your coach to help explain why that coach can unlock you to actually give you, even if you didn't ask, a sense of this person overall, the name of their dog, what they look like and where they live and all of these things, where they're from originally and where they went to college and people find points of resonance in that. And then what we communicate is my coach, Curtis, um, he, his last job was he was a strength coach for the Golden State Warriors, an NBA team. And before that worked for the Chicago Bulls and other great, you know, professional organizations. And what we were able to say to a customer is this guy, Curtis, is going to be with you seven days a week. He's literally going to be responsive to you. He's going to build a new plan every Sunday, keep you accountable, adapt your plan daily as you have questions or needs. And for all of that, um, it's going to cost you $5 a day to have Curtis on call. And I think people were like, that's a really, that's an understandable trade. $5 a day. And I've got this coach who's always there for me. Um, $5 a day, 30 days, $150, right? Uh, a month, and we'll bill it monthly. Um, that, I think when we built an understanding of the interaction model, and by the way, we will communicate to you that your coach's average response time when you text them, including nights and weekends, is under 30 minutes. It's like mind-blowing. And you're like, I'm totally willing to pay for somebody to be right there and responsive for me. Um, so that was a, a, a great finding for us that showing you the use case, matching that to the way we, we build this, really showing you that it's actually someone's time you're paying for and the software is just an enabler here. Um, all of that helped it become a no-brainer for people, frankly. We, we don't have a lot of trouble. Um, once we can communicate to you the power of having someone in your life every day, the rest takes care of itself. Yeah, um, I think that's a really great point out around this idea that you're actually getting somebody's time and most technology businesses are not scalable with selling a person like well there's two-sided marketplaces right but in this in this subscription type model they they tend to be just the digital product only um so how many coaches would you be able to share? Like maybe not exact numbers, but is it in the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of coaches you have? It's a little less than that. But um, what I can say, and I think I did mention this, is we employ our coaches. We are vertically integrated. And the strategy of the company is, is vertically integrate to deliver a 90 NPS efficacious solution around fitness. And what we didn't talk about is when we do that and put a coach in your life, our average customer not only works out a ton, way more than any other platform product we've ever seen, brick and mortar, digital, 
they're happy with it, like we talked about. But on average, our average customer trades four text messages every single day, seven days a week with their coach. This is like, I mean, we haven't seen many things like this. Maybe WhatsApp looks like that four, four times a day, every single day, but nothing else looks like that. Certainly no health product. And what ends up happening is when we manage your fitness, we do an incredible job and we're there for you, we're proactive, we're skilled. Naturally, 94% of our members end up asking their coach for help with how they're eating. 40% volunteer, they're not sleeping enough. 30% talk about being stressed or depressed or, or needing some help, uh, you know, mental uh, wellness uh, on that front. And what we see is an opportunity. The strategy of the company was vertically integrate. That will be more challenging. We are employing all of these coaches and we invest deeply in that workforce, but it allows us to deliver a, a 10X experience. And then we will have an opportunity and the service area with this customer to help them with more and more. Perhaps we plug in other experts in to help you with how you're eating and sleeping. And so that vertical integration means we're not this open marketplace for a bunch of coaches who do this on their side. This becomes the central focus for those coaches. And, and what I can say is we are the, we're employing these coaches. We are the largest employer of trainers and coaches in America, as far as we can tell. We employ more coaches than the entirety of the NBA, the NFL, the MLB, the NHL, the big four sports leagues combined by a long shot. And we're growing rapidly. So when it comes to personal training or coaching, like we are the biggest, you know, organization uh, we can think of and, um, and, and growing rapidly. And there's a half a million trainers and coaches in America alone um, who we think we can help give uh, financial freedom, geographical flexibility, time flexibility to, and increase their impact, reach 10 times as many people. Awesome. Um, conscious of your time, have to work towards wrapping up. This is awesome. Um, retention. What recommendations would you have to founders in early stages of moving to a subscription model that you'd like to share with the audience? Any goals, hard lessons learnt? You know, I think we did it backwards, actually. We did not take a product and try to systematically turn the screws to incrementally improve retention. Of course, that is a forever pursuit of us to just make make future more valuable and useful for people. And, and that will the score will take care of itself if we create great inputs. Our foundational first question was, is this behavior retentive and delightful? If it's not, we're not interested in spending a bunch of cycles on this. Obviously, we suspected it was because, like I said, there's a real world comp and people who can afford to have a coach and a trainer like professional athletes and A-list celebrities and executives and the other people who are so fortunate to have that. They, have, they keep their coach for years. They invite this coach to their wedding or vice versa and you know, build a real one-to-one relationship. And the relationship itself, the fact that your coach and you actually talk about um, the vacation you're taking in your family, that actually makes it even stickier. And so we said, if we can create a really good comp for this sticky, but economically unavailable because it's so expensive, um, um, you know, sort of relationship or service, then we believe and will measure that this is as retentive as that, if not more, because it's 10 times cheaper. And so I would say what we did was very early on stack the, the deck against ourselves and say, is this fundamental behavior very retentive, way more retentive than the comps of brick and mortar or digital fitness? And when we saw that it was, and this is what I love about future is we've only built a tiny, tiny fraction of what we want to build. And yet people love it and they're clamoring for more. It's got all sorts of issues, but they want more. 
Um, this for us was the sign of product market fit, or you said product market fit and beyond. This was the sign that this is like an investable idea for us in terms of our time. And so we really did start with that question because like I said, the history of consumer fitness was people pick things up and nothing sticks. And so the core innovation we said was coaching is sticky. Can we validate that? And if we can validate that up front, then, um, then what we will do is build for many use cases and, and try to be as efficient as we can so we can lower prices or offer tiers of coaches and you know, do all these amazing other things. Um, but that was the foundational question we asked. Awesome. Um, couple last questions. One, where is future 10 years from now? What's the end goal? You know, the goal with the company is you know, there is, um, is to help you with every aspect of your day-to-day health probably the non-clinical aspects. And that's how you're moving, how you're eating, how you're sleeping, how you're just dealing with your day-to-day stresses. Um, like I said, the status quo today is for people to, to, they're expected to deal with these things on their own. In addition to having a job or two and then a partner or family or they're dating and they've got social obligations and bills to pay, the societal expectation is that you and I will also figure out how to move enough and eat right and sleep more. And that is absurd. So our goal is to take that off of people's plates. Don't try to become a domain expert in these five disparate areas. We will put people in your life who understand you, get you, are there for you every single day. Um, And so 10 years from now, we are doing that for millions and millions of people. Um, and, uh, And we are helping many more people come into the field of being a personal trainer or a nutritionist or a coach or, you know, these types of things, because we've built a tremendous amount of technology to help a coach with the IQ of being a coach and the EQ of being a coach and how to manage all of that. Um, And that is really the core of what we've built as a company. Um, So one-to-one human interaction, we think is the point of differentiation. What I would say to any young company is as early as you can find your point of differentiation and lean as hard as you can into that. And when it comes to fitness, which is a crowded consumer market and a mature market, which has huge tentpole brands, you know, called like Nike and Apple and, you know, many more, the only chance we're going to have is if we're talking to the consumer about something that nobody else is. And none of those brands are saying, I'm going to put a person in your life to see you every single day. Most of them are, here's a, here's a system or here's a piece of equipment or content. And then it's up to you. Um, and we say, we're going to talk to you. We're going to see you every single day. Um, and so that became the mantra for the company is, is take that uniqueness and talk about it as loudly and as early as we can. We'll be there for you every single day uh, and then do this in many other you know, regard, aspects of health over time. Incredible. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I'm excited to see this come to life and watch from afar. You've definitely sold me. I've already got a PT though, so. <laughs> but, 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 uh, so you get it. Yeah, you yeah, totally get it. Yeah. Um, all right, so we'll move to the hot seat round. Just a few last questions, kind of rapid fire. Um, if you could go back to your first day in business and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be and why? It would be um, when you're optimizing, you know, your career choices and what to work on and where to work or how much to make, Optimize for one thing early in your career, which is working for the smartest and with and for the smartest people you can find, and then become indispensable to them. This is like, I think the thing that like paid off, you know, for me, and I think I can see many others, which is 
go work with high potential people and then raise your hand and become indispensable to that company. If you're going to go be an engineer at a company, become indispensable, be proactive, be uh, work on, you know, um, whatever you're tasked with and do an incredible job. So people want to depend more and more on you. And if you can do that early in your career, then um, you will naturally meet your future co-founders, investors, employers by, um, by surrounding yourself with really smart people, finding your way in and then becoming indispensable. When is work fulfilling? You know, that changes through the seasons of your career. And I would say work is extremely fulfilling at this point when, uh, when two things happen. They're both people-driven. Um, when we hear from customers and what they tell us is nothing else I, I have ever encountered could have helped me get to this place. You know, we get letters every day from customers who talk about um, I was able to reduce my A1C and I can cut back, you know, my, you know, my blood glucose, I can cut back on medications because of lifestyle changes I made and, and having a person in my life is a, was a great um, uh, catalyst for doing that, that type of thing where this was a unique solution that helped someone get a really big outcome. Those types of things are huge and um, work is fulfilling on the people side. When you take people, you know, hire teammates invest in their upside and you see them flourish. They turn into C-level executives or founders or just owners of, of big um, endeavors. You know, the, the, the practice of building a company is defining ideally a mission, galvanizing a group of people to solve this historically hard problem. And then what? You don't stop when you solve it on your Google and you've now become the largest search. You know, you don't just like dissolve. The question is, what happens next? And the great joy or opportunity of building a company is then taking those resources and people and finding hard problems that we can go off and solve. And so it really does become about people at some point in your career, I think, or at least it has for me. That's when work has been, you know, really exciting and fulfilling. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? So my dad was, you know, I was raised by Indian immigrants and my dad used to always say this thing to me as a kid and I would, you know, shrug it off as a kid. And he used to always say, Rishi, the plan is always useless, but planning is not useless. And he would always say this, the plan is always useless, but planning is not useless. And as a kid, he'd be like, what does that even mean? What, is, what are you, Yoda? You know, like, I don't understand. And I think what I came to understand over time was that let's say you sit down and craft a plan for future of the company at the very beginning. As soon as you get your first cohort of customers or you encounter the real world, you know, a lot of your assumptions are going to be proven false. And now the plan that was so well thought out is totally off track, or you're going to go 45 degrees in this other direction. And so for some that can be disheartening, but I think the actual plan, the, the process of building that plan of asking yourself, what are the major levers here? What is the framework I'm operating in? Why would I work on this? What's important that actually creates the prepared mind to react when, when you get new information. And so really uh, the, the, like the style of like entrepreneurship that I would say, you know, I've always kind of adhered to is rigorous thought first, then relentless execution. And I do find a lot of um, what's helped me build companies and face the uncertainty you face as a founder is thinking through and building a plan um, and when we encounter new information, your prepared mind allows you to, to very quickly react. So that, that's turned out to be very important uh, advice for me. And if you could have dinner with any entrepreneur, dead or alive, who would it be and why? 
I would look for an entrepreneur who was willing to be misunderstood for a long time. And I would want the blow by blow of how they held their nerve. Um, So, you know, entrepreneurs that come to mind, like Jeff Bezos is a great example where he had a, um, a, a vision for what e-commerce could do was willing to be misunderstood, had the, had set up the structure to do that. Um, and, uh, and I think that takes a, a lot of nerve and, and, um, skill. Um, and, and I'm a, I'm a biography junkie. I, uh, I've found over time that the longer the biography, the better for me, there is no, there is no, uh, uh, diminishing return there. I want to know every single meeting and day and, and interaction and negotiation. Um, so I think if I could get maybe more than a dinner, but uh, some hours, uh, somebody was willing to be misunderstood, Jeff Bezos comes to mind. Thank you so much for your time, man. This was an incredible interview. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to watching from afar what you do with Future. It's really impressive. Thank you. I appreciate that. And yeah, really excited about what you've been doing and building at this point. It's a, like an empire. You've got so much, so many tentacles to, to the founder, uh, the magazine, the podcast, et cetera. So if I can be helpful, you know, like I said, I've been in Silicon Valley my whole life and know lots of founders and, and great people. If I can be helpful in any way, do let me know. Of course. Thank you so much. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.